The reading of God's Word this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, you can find the text on page 783 of the Blue Pew Bible. I believe the bulletin says this is 15 through 17, but actually we will be reading verses 11 through 17. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Lord who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominions of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen. Let's pray again. Lord, you who gave us this word by your Holy Spirit, you who formed the worlds, you who have redeemed us, you who will renew the whole earth in your mighty power, resurrected Lord, come and bring this word to bear in our hearts and enable us, Lord, to commune with you and to worship you, to trust you, and to give our lives up to you for your glory and our good. Amen. When Kay and I were in Dutchess last night, splitting a hamburger, looking around at all the people, we actually wondered, and I do this periodically, wonder what each one of these people is living for. Wonder what makes him tick, her tick. Wonder why they do what they do. Wonder why they live, why they get up in the morning, why they go to work. We began this series on Colossians talking about how Christ is not simply, as we say, the reason for the season, right? But that He is the reason for everything. He's the reason for everything in our lives. He's the reason for everything in our community, the church. He's the reason for everything in history. He's the reason for everything in the universe, One of my favorite bumper stickers reads, What if hokey pokey, the hokey pokey is what it's all about? You know? (laughs) I just love that one. And I think Sartre Camus, some of the existentialists of the last century, might think, Yeah, might as well be the hokey pokey, you know, as anything else. Well, this passage this morning, our passage, verses 15 and following, really is one of the richest passages in all of Scripture that says Christ is what it's all about. Christ is what it's all about. 
First, just a little word about the context, because we come to verse 15 and realize that it's actually a continuation of Paul's thanksgiving that he began back in verse 12. That's why we, uh, we had Ben read that part, just to give the context again. This thanksgiving that he gives in verse 12, if you'll notice, if you'll look, Actually, he thanks God for basically three things, and it's really important for us to keep this in mind as we move forward. He thanks God for the future, the inheritance of the saints in light. He thanks God for, you might say, secondly, their new situation or their new spiritual geography or their new spiritual location, you could put it that way. That's in the phrase... Uh, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So he thanks God for our future inheritance, thanks God for our new spiritual geography, and thirdly, he thanks God for our new relationship in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is, we know forgiveness and acceptance. And to recall what we dealt with last week, This is why we can continue to bear fruit in doing good, as he says here, and which basically means to continue to love in every circumstance, sustained by this joy and this gratitude that in all that we do, we have a new future, a new situation, a new relationship with God. These are the things that... Uh, sustain us and equip us and give us this joy that energizes us to continue in love. But the thanksgiving for these three things extends into verse 15. He's just thanked God for delivering us through his son, and now he begins to describe this son in his majestic lordship. So really, his lordship, this speaking of him being the image of God, is an extension of this thanksgiving. We continue to praise God. We continue to delight in this God who has transferred us into the kingdom of his son. And this is who he is, Lord of creation. And we'll see next week, Lord of redemption. So this is wonderful food for worship, for trust, for adoration, for mere happiness in our lives. Uh, Marcus Barth says this, This glorification of Christ at this point in verse 15 is the high point of Colossians. It celebrates in song the Jewish Messiah as creator and reconciler of the universe who has now gone up to his reign, not only over Israel, but over the whole earth. That's our Messiah. That is our Savior. So we dive into this and want to talk first about this phrase, the image of the invisible God. And I want to point out that these two terms that we're going to deal with, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of creation, are tied so closely to creation. Because verse 16 says, He's this, he's the image, and he's the firstborn because in him everything was created. So these terms are there as image of God 
and firstborn of creation because he is the creator of the world, everything in it from top to bottom. So that's, that's the context for this term image. Now, as you think of the image of God, you might first go to Genesis chapter 1, where man was made in the image of God, and so you should. Okay, Good, that was good. It's good that you did that. Um, but I want to point out what is said in Genesis 1, when he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they will have dominion. So image and dominion are joined from the beginning. In fact, when you think about it, all that you've learned about God up to that point is that he makes everything and he's sovereign ruler over everything. Let's make man in the image of this God who is sovereign ruler. Let him have dominion. So image does include the idea of manifesting God, but particularly it means manifesting God's lordship, exercising dominion as image. Even when he goes on to say, let us make him male and female, that's for the end result that they exercise dominion because male and female, they will be fruitful, they'll multiply, they'll spread out over the earth, and they'll have dominion, right? So even our being male and female has this function in the image of God so that we can exercise dominion. So this has to do, uh, like, uh, likeness has to do with our lordship over creation. And it's that, in that sense, that he's called the image of God, the Lord over creation. He is gloriously the perfect and final consummate human being who has restored humanity to its true dominion. We now know that a God-man rules the world. The Messiah himself rules the world. So that our humanity in Christ Jesus has been exalted to become a true part of the dominion of the earth. This is astounding, astonishing as we'll explore this. And this also is in line with what Paul says uh, in an earlier letter to the Corinthians. Uh, you can turn there if you want on page 965 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul there mentions the gospel and he speaks of the gospel being the gospel of the glory of Christ. What is the gospel about? It's about the glory of Christ, the majesty, the beauty, the magnificence of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. And then he says right after that, who is the image of God? And in the next verse, Paul says, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So right in practically the same breath, the glory of Christ is the image of God, and that's why we proclaim him Lord, because he's the image of God. So lordship, you see, is so closely associated uh, with the image of God. Uh, he's the image of God in his sovereign lordship, 
manifesting God's great wisdom and power and goodness in His complete overarching lordship over all of creation. It's in that sense, you see, that He's image of God. What does He image in particular? He images God's sovereign lordship and exercises it perfectly and beautifully, just like God would, because He is the image of, of God. So, there's the image of God, and then the, the phrase invisible God seems to point to the fact that it's mainly talking about how He's revealing the invisible God, but we have to realize that invisible God pertains to God's majestic glory that's unapproachable. You see, but he is the image of that unapproachable, glorious, magnificent God, and he manifests that glorious, powerful, magnificent God in his lordship. So there's that wonderful phrase, and then you have this phrase the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn designates a position of preference or it designates a position of predominance, okay? It even carries the meaning of chosen and beloved. Emphatically, this does not mean what the Jehovah's Witness would want it to mean, and they use this text to say he's the firstborn of creation. That is, he's the first one created. That would be their interpretation. He was the first one created. Of course, that's not what it says, But firstborn is a technical term. It means that he is head of creation. Uh, The firstborn in a family, for instance, was the one to whom the inheritance came and who administered all things under the Father. Now, when I worked at Goodyear uh, right out of college uh, on the graveyard shift, uh, we had a clear understanding that the superintendents that roamed the floor belonged to Goodyear. They were company people. We were worker union people, okay? We were two different classes of people. They were, and and you had to fight the gossip of the guys about anybody that belonged to the company because we were union, okay? Now, maybe not the best illustration, but I'm pointing out this, that the firstborn acted more on the father's side, managing the father's things for the children, you see. He was associated in that headship position as the ruler over all things for the sake of the father. That's what it means to be firstborn. And you can tell in the passage that it cannot mean that he's a part of creation because it says he's the firstborn because by him all things were created. See? He's the firstborn because all things were made by him. He's the firstborn of creation because he's the creator of creation. And in biblical thinking, you're either creator or you're creation, right? And so here's a statement that of his uh, magnificence, his uh, headship. This also recalls Psalm 89 where David is called God's firstborn, in verse 27. And he says, the, uh, the, Davidic, the future Davidic king, he is the firstborn, the highest of the kings. So you see, 
Those are synonyms. The firstborn, highest of the kings. So this is a uh, label of magnificence, of leadership, of lordship, of kingship. It's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 1, this term firstborn is used synonymously with the term son. And in that context, he says he's over all the angelic hosts. So see again, firstborn, son, over all things. This is the meaning that he is setting forth for us. That's why he emphasizes that by him are all things were created. The word literally is in him. That means in the sphere of the sun, everything was created. In relationship to the sun, everything is created. He's the context for creation. He's the center of creation. It reminds you of what John says at the beginning of his gospel. Without him, nothing was made that was made. You see, in him, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made. And then he says uh, later, all things were created through him. This means he's the agent, the special agent through which everything is made. And then this means he really brought about the hands-on accomplishment of creation, that the Father was the one who planned and initiated, and the Son actually accomplished it and did it. And, of course, God must carry out the work of God. God must accomplish what God has purposed in this regard. And it says here that he was before all things. Much like the language of John where we have the indication when the creation began, he already was. He's before all things. This points to his life that he had with God, as God, so that at the time of creation, he was before all of these things. Um, And uh, it also points to his being the actual goal of creation, doesn't it? So he's the context, he's the agent, and he's the very goal because they not only were created through him, they were created for him. This is magnificent and and crazy that these kind of things would be said. As one has written, this is the startling claim that a man who had recently lived and been crucified by the Romans is the one by whom everything has been created and in whom all things are holding are being held together. What? What? Wait! Wait! Wait a minute. You are saying that this man who lived, was crucified, died, you're saying he was raised, you're saying in him everything holds together. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is shocking, startling, astonishing uh, words about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, these are in the first place, tremendously encouraging things for us. And this is the first application I want to underscore for you. It is, in the first place, seeing that He is the image of God, the firstborn of creation, Lord over all, 
and that He is the both God and man. It's encouraging that our humanity in the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is actually involved in the lordship of the earth. This is the teaching of Scripture. Our humanity is now involved in the lordship of the earth. And it, in that the, everything is oriented toward him and for him, we have to realize that it's oriented to us in him. That is this. The, the goal of all creation is toward our Savior. It's toward the one we are united to. He's the body and we are the head. And all of creation is oriented to the one who is our head. That means that we are the wonderful recipients of all that comes to Christ. Not as being anything in ourselves, but as belonging to Christ. It points to the royal nature of our relationship to Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons that Paul can, in an equally astonishing statement, say in Romans 8, that we are children of God, we are heirs of God, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Shocking language again. I'm going to use that a lot. (laughs) Hopefully you will feel a little bit of it. See, if kids, if you suddenly found out that your dad had amazingly had this connection to some distant cousin or uncle that nobody knew about, and now he has $10 billion. Let me do the math. <laughs> if you just got a moderate interest, you get $10 million a week. Ah, oh, $10 million this week. What will I do with it? Oh, I got another 10 million next week. What will I do with that? Right? Now, this is what your dad has. And the fact that your father is going to receive this money, you know, affects the whole family. Because you belong to your father, you're included in the $10 million a week. Right? It may affect where you live. It may affect what kind of house you live in. It may affect the kind of things you own, the things you're able to do, the kind of educational opportunities you have, where you might travel, what you will see of the world. It could affect almost any everything in your life because your father has the inheritance. And that's this. Jesus does inherit the whole world. And we belong to Jesus. And so the first thing that's so encouraging about this is it's put in terms of our humanity to say he's the image of the invisible God. He is the fulfilled image, the the true perfect man who now is exercising lordship as God and as man. It says in Ephesians 1.10 that everything will be summed up in Christ. We belong to Christ in whom everything is going to be summed up. As the one who's joined himself to the new community, his church, you and me and all believers in history, we, he accomplishes this for his people. He's given it to us. He's raised us to that place with him. Your your nobility, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your sin, no matter what your brokenness, your nobility is astonishing now. 
because you belong to this Christ who inherits the world, who is the image of God, who is going to bring about in your life a conformity to his human image in that last day. That is our nobility, our beauty, our dignity. That's why Paul can later say in this very letter, in chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You, you will appear with Him in glory, in the under, understood to be in the same glory. Not His glory as God. He can't share that. But in the glory He has as the image of God, as the man, Christ Jesus. That's why, astonishingly, two letters later in Second Thessalonians, he can say, He called you through our gospel so that... Here's the ultimate purpose for your belonging to Jesus. Okay, You want to know why God did it. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean... Lord, when you saw me in all my brokenness and my sin and my rebellion and the hateful life, and you still see remaining stuff in my life that's so, so evil, yet this is your purpose, that I would obtain the glory of Christ? So this image of God, this firstborn of creation, speaks of his absolute lordship. It's why he can say, in him all things hold together. They, uh, they cohere is, is a neat word. Cohere means to be combined or united in an effective way. Everything in this universe coheres in Christ. It owes to its continuing existence and cohesion Christ Jesus alone. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, that he upholds the universe by his the word of his power. And that word uphold is so cool because it's really the basic word of carry. You carry something from one place to another. So the idea is the Lord Jesus is carrying the universe, has this forward movement, carrying it, upholding it, sustaining it, bringing it to its end as the mighty Lord. That's why he's the image of God, because he so perfectly manifests God's lordship and kingship. What a glorious Savior we have. And it's by the word of his power, his word, his power, that carries the universe to its final end. Well, there's such a wonderful combination in him, obviously, of deity and humanity. Only as God could he uphold the universe. Only as God could he be Lord of creation. And yet, in his humanity, the human side of that, of our being restored to dominion, our being restored to our rightful place of human beings in the image of God who will rule this world to God's glory. He's already there and He's bringing us to that place so that in the final new heavens and the new earth, we are all participants in the glorious rule as the image of God, fully restored and made beautiful in Christ. And let me just close with a few applications. We've had first this just encouragement that... This is your humanity caught up in Christ. 
that he is the one ruling over all things on our behalf and catches us up finally into that rule. One application here is that this, these first few verses talk about his lordship over creation. Verse 18 and following talk about his lordship over redemption. What's great is that he talks about him as the source for the church, but he also talks about him as the source of the universe. And so our physical existence as human beings is just as much a part of Christ as our spiritual existence. See? You can't divide Christ so that your religious activities, quote, or ecclesiastical activities take precedence or displace or make void your non-religious activities, quote, okay? You're supposedly non-spiritual. Everything's spiritual. Everything is important. So that you can't just say when you're praying or worshiping with the body that these are really important and normal things every day of family life and daily labor are not. He is Lord over everything. He holds everything together. He is involved in every aspect of your life. And so working for a living is a godly, holy thing because Jesus is the one who holds everything together, manages that, effectively enables you to do it and to do it for His glory. So this is not just a lordship over the church. It's a lordship over all of life and all of creation. Secondly, This is so assuring in terms of our own transformation and our own continuing in Christ Jesus. If He is Lord over all the universe, then He is the Lord who can transform our lives. If He is the Lord who sustains the whole universe, He is the Lord that will sustain you in your Christian walk and empower you and enable you and give you life. You argue from the greater to the smaller. And so how can we doubt, although we will struggle with it, but it's not reasonable at least to doubt His power to sustain you from your conversion all the way to the end because He sustains the very world. And He's all the more interested in sustaining your life as the mighty King of all creation and the king of his church. Thirdly, there's the idea of protection because he talks about how all things were created, uh, whether uh, in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible. Then he mentions what are very likely the spiritual powers and very likely those antagonistic to us, thrones and dominions and rulers or authorities, though it includes everything. And he says... These things so far are from running your life or being the cause of either uh, uh, fear, terror, or fascination, that something in them is to govern my life, either whether I want want to get into them and and know these powers or be protected from these powers, uh, that he actually made these. These are under the sovereignty of Christ. And this includes... Everything in life, because everything in life is somehow controlled by spiritual power. It says in First John at the end of that little letter, the whole world lies in the hand of the evil one. And so whatever powers we face, whatever 
powers in our society that we face. And included in this would be even the powers that have influenced your life. Some things growing up were positive in your family life. Some things were negative. Those negative things do not have absolute power over you. Jesus is Lord over everything. He is the one who sets you free. You're not bound by what you've always been. You're not bound by the habits that you formed up till now. You have freedom in Christ. You have a Lord over every power in the universe, especially anything that would stand in the way of you being conformed to Jesus Christ. Lord of creation. Lord of your life. Lord of everything. And in the last... This would call, obviously, for worship and dependence upon him. If all things in the universe are centered in Christ and are going to be brought together in Christ, and we'll see next week how all things will be reconciled in Christ, verse 20, then, of course, he must be the whole center of our lives, right? We need to echo Paul's words in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. As Christ holds all things together, He can hold us together and our relationships together and our community as a church together. We're to depend upon Him and rejoice. You are remaking us. You are forming us. You are going to gather more people and form them because you're Lord over all things. Christ is our life, Paul later says in Colossians. Christ is our life even as He's the very sustenance of the world, the very one who sustains the world, He is our life as well. And dear brothers and sisters, you're in the hands of Jesus. In the hands of Jesus. You're not in the hands of anything else. In the hands of the one who made everything. In the hands of the one for, for whom everything is made. In the hands of the one who sustains everything. He... He is your Savior. Let us pray. Lord, we are so weak. We are so broken in and of ourselves. We have so many sins left in our lives that we can't even begin to admit that we've even blinded ourselves to. That because of our brokenness, we don't even see them. We just... We just act this way. We just treat people a certain way. We just feel certain things. We just react to our husband or our wife or our children or our parents or brother or sister just because of meanness that's in us that we haven't even begun to deal with. Oh, Lord, we thank you that no power in heaven and on earth, no power visible or invisible, ultimately has its hand on us that if we've been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of this dear Son, your beloved Son, then we truly, finally are safe. We are protected. We are sheltered. We are under new management. We are undergoing transformation because we are in the hands of God and we are His little art pieces and He will never let us go. Lord Jesus, we praise you, we honor you, we adore you. We would all the more, Lord, 
this morning and trust our lives to You. And Lord, to think that the Lord of creation, the Lord of creation spent His life. He died in our place to bear our punishment so that we could enter into true kingship. We could enter into glory with Him. How could you do it, Lord? How could you be so good? How could you give yourself away so freely? How could you love us so much? Oh, Lord, may we be comforted that the mightiest of kings has spent himself lavishly in love for his people. And he will keep them forever in his love. Oh, bless us with that assurance. Precious Lord Jesus, amen.